You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hi, and welcome to The Compass, the podcast documenting the struggles of life as an artist. I'm Leah Walsh. My guest today is Charlie Russell. Charlie is a lovely actor who I was connected with through my friend Amelia McLean, who was the guest on episode 77. Amelia is understudying the play that goes wrong right now on Broadway, and Charlie is a member of Mischief Theater, and she's been acting in the show since its creation. She was so kind to share her experiences with me, and I had a chance to see the show before our talk, and she's so hilarious in it. I highly recommend it. Uh, before we get to the interview, on a personal note, I have been looking for a more full-time day job for a while now, and I finally started one in mid-May as an office manager at a digital ad agency. It's been pretty positive, a pretty positive experience as far as day jobs go, but I'm not really sure what I want to say about it yet. I'm still figuring out the schedule and how to balance my own creative projects and outlets with it, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. so I'm sure I'll be sharing more about the good and bad of it soon but I've been enjoying the stability, which was the goal. With that, I hope you enjoy the 82nd episode of The Compass. So where I usually start is how do you try to keep from going to the dark side as Mm -hmm. an artist? Well, um... I suppose it also depends on what you would call the dark side, which I'm yeah. sure lots of people have discussed before. And I think... Yeah, it's different for everybody. Yeah, when you're, whether you're in work or not, the dark side... The dark side. <laughs> uh, ...does a sort of appear, I think. I find that m- my dark side, if I'm being honest, comes from if I'm in a place of real um, self-doubt and self-criticism, which can get to a point where I'm almost um, immobilised. I can't make a decision. Yeah. You know, and I feel frozen because I haven't got the confidence to choose choose anything. <laughs> um, so whether that's in my art, in my work, whether I can't make a choice about how I want to do that line or that speech or that scene, or it can come into um, what do I want to do today for breakfast or what I'm going to do with my life or this year, you know, where I want to go on holiday. And th- that kind of thing can can really get in the way, um, I find that dark side. Yeah, self-doubt and self-criticism. So, if I'm brutally honest, therapy. <laughs> I just think everybody should go to therapy, yeah. um, really. And um, I would advise anybody to go, so. You know, that helps a lot, just to be able to talk about it. Yeah. Instead of just keeping it all in your head. Absolutely, and I think even if you aren't even in a particular point of crisis in your life, I'd advise anybody to go because it's sort of going to the gym for your brain. Um, it keeps it healthy and ticking over and you're looking at it. It's like checkups all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, my therapist will talk about, you know, a, a shaken can of soda, sorry, a bottle of soda. And if you open it all at once, it'll go, it might spill out and go all over everyone. Yeah. But then if you just let it out in little bits, eventually you can take the top off and it can be maybe a flat bottle of Coke, but still, <laughs> um, it'll be something. It's not dangerous. It's not dangerous. Um, so I would advise anybody going to counselling, therapy, you know, psychoanalytical or um, sort of CBT type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also finding uh, things in your life that... I have a funny feeling about positive thinking sometimes. I think it can be detrimental because it can imply that there's... If you aren't positively thinking, it's all your fault and it can kind of hurt in the long run. But if you can just take a moment to 
be grateful for little things that you do have, you can find that you just calm down, just take yourself back to the present. And so I knit, for example, um, and I'm <laughs> not very I'm, meditative. I'm dreadful. I'm absolutely dreadful. When did you start? I, I started a couple of years ago. I knitted one thing. Um, a, a cushion cover, which went quite well, and now I'm knitting a blanket, which is going badly. <laughs> I've had to unpick it so many times. Um, there's so many holes. It's a much larger undertaking. Yes, it is. It is. It's a simpler pattern, but larger undertaking, yeah. and thinner yarn. Um, and so, whilst that actually causes me quite a lot of stress sometimes, um, in general, having little things that I go, actually, I'm very lucky. I'm going to sit here and knit, or I can have a cup of tea, take it one step at a time. You know, it's a way you deal with, um, you can deal with people who are having suicidal thoughts is to help them just think 60 seconds in the future or five minutes in the mm. future rather than your life, your week. Years yeah, exactly. Future. So whilst I've not, I'm grateful not to have been, had to experience anything like that, I still use it sometimes. I just think, okay, yeah. for the next five minutes, what can I do? And it just calms you right down. And then be kind to yourself so that you can have confidence in decisions and realize as well that if you make a decision and it's not doesn't have the best outcome you will also survive because I'm not a heart surgeon so I won't actually kill anyone by doing it you know yeah, yeah. So. it's interesting with acting though because I feel like so much is out of our control um, and this might actually be interesting to talk about with you since you've been working with your own company for mm. so long mm. but so often I feel like we can think about the future and put so much pressure on things that are out of our hands like you yes. do the audition and then it's yeah all these other people have these decisions to make that have very little to do with you and you actually can't do anything about that there's right. really but it's like if you're thinking about your future and like yeah. these things are like what you're doing next year in your life oh gosh yeah it can be completely it can be so overwhelming. out of your control yeah well there's a book called um happy by Darren brown and he's a that. british magician and philosopher and he's a phenomenal <laughs> man he was recently um here in new york with uh -huh. a show and we got the very lucky enough to meet him. He's a lovely man. But this book is called Happy, and it's a philosophy book. It, it sort of draws mainly on the teachings of Stoicism. Uh -huh. But it, it's really amazing. I advise anyone to read that alongside with some therapy as well. Um, but it, um, it teaches you about that. What can you control? And the only things you can control are your thoughts and your actions. So as long as you can be proud of those, then after that, there's nothing else you can do. So you can sort of rest in a kind of happy place where you realize you're doing everything you can, mm -hmm. but then let go of the things you can't control. And a lot easier said than done. I find it very hard, but... Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, I say it like I'm some guru. I, have, I'm, I find it very difficult. No, some days it's easier than others, yeah. I feel like. Yeah. Um, so tell me a little bit about the theater company that you're doing the play that goes wrong with and like how you guys all came together. I will. Hold on one second. Day. Hi. <laughs> How are you? Uh, you I'm Leah. So, this is Dave, everyone. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Hello. See you in a bit. <laughs> <laughs> so Dave's <Perfect>. just left, <laughs> but he's also in the company. Um, right. We're called Mischief Theatre. Mm -hmm. um, we formed, um, well, actually, Dave was one of the original founding members in 2008, I believe. In oh, okay. the, a group of people had done the foundation year at, at drama school at Lambda and had created this impro company. And I joined pretty soon after that, as did a lot of the people you'll see in the play that goes wrong. Right. Um, and we, for years, worked as an impro company doing a long-form impro show called Lights, Camera, Improvise, which we, would, which we would do perform in London in the Fringe and then Edinburgh Fringe and anywhere else that anyone would let us perform it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then when enough people had sort of graduated from drama school or had some free time, um, a couple of the boys in the group got together to write this farce, this clown show, a play that goes wrong. And it was actually <laughs> called The Murder at Havisham Man... No, The Murder Before Christmas at the time, because it was a Christmas show. We did it above a pub to 12 people, four of which had paid money for tickets. <laughs> and um, since then, it's kind of grown into... Well, now it's on Broadway, which is yeah. wonderful, and it's a two-act show, and has performances all over the world, and it's amazing. Mind-blowing. It's amazing. But the company works... Um, has been working together for years, and we're all sort of friends, and... So we, we do have a slightly different experience, potentially to other actors, in that I have known what I was doing for the last three years, yeah. four years. I've sort of had work in the future. I've not, I've not had that horrible, vast expanse of nothingness to look forward to, which I had had previously, but not mm. for a while. I'm very grateful. Um, so yeah, it's a very different experience, I think, to a lot of actors. Um, 
it's a wonderful experience too to work with your friends. Oh, it's the best. Yeah, it's the absolute best. And also because you have input, you have a bit more control. Like we were talking about earlier about the you know having control over your destiny as an actor. We actually have artistic input and right. control, and we work together. And the rehearsal process is very collaborative. And um, so whilst the writing does generally occur between th uh, three of the guys, Henry, Henry, and John. Um, it's collaborative with them in terms of development of those scripts. Yeah, do you guys use a lot of your improv experience in fleshing um, out the script? Yeah, a little. Do they kind of sit down and... It's strange, you know, we don't, use, we don't use it in terms of using one of our improv exercises or mm. like a Mike Lee thing where you don't even know where the scene's going until we've improvised it. Right. It's more that because we are used to working in a very yes-and environment, mm -hmm. When they have their script, we go, yes, and, and then we'll play with that. And it's sort of a bit of a joke, yes, and now, isn't it? <laughs> Makes me think of the American office. But, um, yeah, you, you kind of are in a really great place for creating work because you're not saying no to any ideas. And then you can mine an idea and go deeper into an idea right. and develop it, which I think is very, very useful. And that comes, I think, from a lot of our improv training. Yeah, that's wonderful that you're all getting to still work together. It's amazing. It really is yeah. truly that like company experience. Yeah, and very unlike what people normally experience. I'm very grateful for it. I think um, it means you have a family around you all the time. Yeah, friends, and, and you know we fight like a family too. Obviously, of course. <laughs> you know your brothers and sisters fight, but then there's that true, deep love that you have for each other, which you do for family. And I'm very grateful. I always been a kind of person that looks for families where I go. Mm -hmm. You know, at school I had the drama club or the netball team, not that I was any good, um, <laughs> or the rowing team or something, you know, and I would yeah. always find little families everywhere I went, so it's nice to have this one. Where did you grow up? Um, I actually am from a military background, so my dad was in the Navy. Okay. So I've, I've moved around quite a lot. I've been to a couple, quite a few schools, mm -hmm. um, which I think potentially maybe that feeds into it, you know, my desire for some sort of <laughs> security home and yeah. home base, yeah. Um, but my dad now lives in a place called Bedford, which is about 50 miles north of London. Okay. It's in East Anglia. It's very nice. Um, and it's where I went to high school, you know, is what I'd say. I went, I went, I went to high school and then I went to drama school in London. When did you start getting into acting in high school? No, I'm annoying. I started doing drama when I was very, very little. Yeah. Uh, I'm not any. Not annoying. Oh, I'm just. Yeah. I was. I imagine I was <laughs> highly irritating. Um, I, yeah, I can't imagine how annoying I must have been. But um, my mum was great. <laughs> she would bring me. We did amateur dramatics in our local town in Cumbria called right. Grange Over Sands. If anyone decides to go, it's very beautiful. It's in the Lake District. Your mom did it too, or was it just for? My mum did it. Yeah. Nice. Um, and so I used to come along with her, and then we did this thing. You know, pantomimes. I know they're not an American thing, but lots yeah. of people know about them the Christmas show, right. that often, if they're non-professional, they involve the community. And so I was one of the youngest kids that ever got to be in it. I was this fairy on stage and um, in Pinocchio. And then there was this, I was watching the video back a couple of years ago. <laughs> and I was like, oh, look at that. Oh, that little, that little girl's not left the stage. The rest of the chorus have left the stage. It's now a scene with the baddies. And that little fairy's just, she's just, she just doesn't leave the stage and she watches the whole scene from the stage. And all the audience are laughing and the, the other actors are patting her on the head and she has no idea. And then I realized it was me. Oh. It was me. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I always used to do that kind of thing. Yeah. Always wanted to do it. Um, I think I w would have loved to have done musicals, but was both cursed and blessed with not the strongest singing voice. Mm -hmm. And actually, I'm kind of pleased because I think the musical theater world is amazing wonderful but particularly challenging yes and i i feel maybe i've been given you know a little break and actually i, I haven't had to go into that world because i would have loved it um but i don't know if i'd have the so, fortitude so competitive yeah i mean even within other forms of acting oh and there's so much there's so many challenges and demands on on the person on the actor and they're all amazing i have so much respect for musical theater performers and i love going to musical <laughs> theater but no I, I generally just do acting and comedy that kind of yeah. thing yeah and so, what does your family make of you being an actor then? Well, my mum has passed away, but she um, was extremely positive. She rang up RADA when I was seven, asking if I could go, and they had to say, <laughs> wait another sort of 10, 11 years. Um, she was very, very... That you shared that with her, though. Yes. I'm very, very lucky to have had her support yeah. um, all throughout my life. And then my dad... Uh, is very very supportive. I've got to say, very supportive. But he, um, he, you know, he was the, the man in the navy and, and always uh, 
a lot of focus, there's always a lot of focus on the academic and the education, fair enough, and uh, I, I appreciate that. Mm -hmm. um, but when I turned around and said, I'm not going to take this place at university, so it was this university in London to do war studies, <laughs> I'm going to do this one-year course in acting um, in Cambridge, and he sort of went, okay. But um, as soon as I told him that's what I wanted to do, he just went, okay, that's the new, that's what it is. I'm here and I'm 100% behind you. And um, I have this lovely memory of him coming into my bedroom one evening and sitting me down and saying, there's a time where a man has to tell his father he won't go and work for the council, for the local government. He wants to go and join the Navy. He said, it's your chance, it's your time to tell me this is what you have to do and wh who am I to stop you? So, oh I mean, he couldn't have done, I was, I was outrageous. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it was very, very lovely and he's so always, sweet. he is so supportive, I'm extremely lucky. And now it's almost um, ridiculous, he's just so proud and he comes, he came to, he came to New York recently um, and he had tickets for the Saturday night and I would normally have a Monday night off. Uh -huh. But because of Memorial Day, we were actually performing on the Monday. So I said, oh, sorry, Dad, I'll miss you on the Monday night. And he said, okay. I mean, I could just come again. <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> That's the way my mom so, is, too. Yeah. And she so, comes to see it, me at a show. She always wants to see it twice. Yeah. Isn't that lovely? <laughs> Aren't we lucky? That's so lovely. And so my stepmother and my, my stepbrother came as well, and it was uh -huh. just absolutely wonderful. Yeah, it was great. That's so wonderful. I'm very lucky. Uh, can we talk a little bit about when the show first started and kind of the journey you guys set mm. out to now doing it on Broadway? Yeah. Like, were um, you involved much with like the producing part of it when you were first starting and doing mm. the I won't, the I don't festival and the, or did you have to deal with much of the, I don't know what I'm, I'm not saying this very eloquently, but the fundraising and the getting on its feet or did they, the other people kind of deal with that while you were just acting? So I don't want to overplay my role, mm -hmm. um, but at the beginning we all had a lot to do with it because of because we've been doing our impro show lights camera improvise in Edinburgh every year for like four or five years. Oh, yeah. We had been making money on that show in Edinburgh, which is a little bit unlike it's not common to do. Yeah. And we always put that money back into the company. We didn't pay ourselves. We hadn't paid ourselves for. We, it took us five years to pay yeah. ourselves. Um, so what, that's the money we used to put on the production, which was really nice. We didn't have to do any external fundraising, um, any nice. fundraising pages or asking. Um, certain people's parents invested, so there are original investors, and they have, I, th I believe, been paid back with some interest, which is, <laughs> which is only fair, and we're very grateful for their help. Um, we... So it was Henry Lewis did a lot of the produce, producing at the beginning um, with Jonathan Sayer as well and Henry Shields, who are the writers. Mm -hmm. And they dealt a lot with the Old Red Lion, which is the um, theatre pub in Islington. And then we had people from Edinburgh coming to see us in London. Because our main aim at that time was to get to a venue called Pleasance in the Edinburgh Fringe. Okay. The Pleasance venue is a really well-established and really well-renowned venue. And we were desperate to get in there. We'd never been able to get in there with our I've impro show. I've never gone to the French Festival. Oh. I want to so badly. Honestly, it's just the, <laughs> I used to, oh, it's the best place in the world. It'll kill you. How You'll long die. Is the actual festival? A month. And a full month, wow. It's a full month. Well, it's 26 days, something like that. Right. And we used to go for the full time um, with one day off in the middle. So you perform seven days a week. Oh, my God. You don't have a day off in the week. It's crazy. Um, but you only do one show, and you go and see loads of other people's shows. excited. And oh, my gosh, it's so exciting. And then week three comes, which is the week of death, where everybody <laughs> wants to kill themselves because they're exhausted and hungry and run out of money. And then the final week, nobody cares again. Um, <laughs> it's so much fun. Uh, I really advise that you go, anybody go, and go for longer than you think, four days minimum, I'd say, and with yeah. lots of money, and with a raincoat, because it rains all the time. <laughs> um, but we, we were desperate to go to a really good venue there, so we'd been trying to get them in. Um, so we ended up performing again at the Old Red Line in order to provide the Pleasants with a time to come and see us. And then we had this little transfer to what you guys might call an off-Broadway mm -hmm. space. So it's Trafalgar Studios is a West End theatre, but they have studio, the main studio is a West End Theatre, but the studio with a little s space <laughs> is 100 seats or something, 60 okay. seats. So that doesn't count as West End, um, but it is in that area, which is amazing. And it's, it's really well-renowned as well. We were really pleased to be able to go there. 
Um, but what we would do then, because it was so expensive, is that we, because our show was only an hour long, we'd perform at 7.30 and then again at 9. Mm -hmm. So we'd do two performances a day to try and make back the money. So instead of playing 100, uh, an audience of 100 a day, we'd right. play 200 a day. Um, and then on a matinee day, we'd do three performances in the day <laughs> with a 15-minute turnaround in between the, oh the two in the evening. It was outrageous. We nearly killed us all, I think, because we... Um, I joined, I, I took a bit of time off and then came back to it because I'd had another job. But the, everybody was so exhausted when I came back and then I joined that kind of timetable and found exactly the same thing. Because everybody was working, I was working in a bag shop mm. throughout the day and then running from the shop to the theatre, thankfully they were close to each other, um, <laughs> to then do the show in the evening, then getting up in the morning. Dave, who you might have heard earlier, <laughs> um, he, he would work the breakfast shift, so 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock in the morning at his restaurant <sighs> until the early evening and then run over and do the show, yeah. um, which you can only sustain for a certain amount of time. We were young and reckless, and we could do it for about maybe six weeks. Um, and it was worth it because what happened then was that these um, English producers came to see us there and offered us a UK tour. So from then on, a lot of the production got handed over to them, the producing roles, because that was actually their job and they had the money and they knew what they were doing <laughs> and it was so exciting. And they took us um, on a six-month number ones tour, which is sort of big venues in the UK, um, which was very fun. Again, quite exhausting, but really, really fun. And they then took on a lot of the difficult work. Right. But I must say, Henry and Jonathan particularly, and Henry Shields, have always done a lot of the work, and they still do, which I, as a company member, really appreciate, because whilst Kenny Wax and Mark Bentley are the best producers in the world, if you ever get a chance to work with them, do, <laughs> um, it's great to have someone who you know is part of your team working for you, working for the company, working for the work. Are they here with you now? Yeah, they're in the show. They're in, they, oh, they act in the show. They're We're all acting in the show. Perfect. So they do a lot of that now. Yeah. I would help. When we went to Edinburgh, you know, I was... Dave and I would do a lot of the press work. We would go to certain functions or write to the reviewers and that kind yeah. of sort their tickets out. So we've all taken little roles as we can over time. Um, and now we'll do a lot of prom promotional things for the Broadway run. But after the six-month tour, just to finish the whole saga. <laughs> it's a long process. It is long. Amazing. It's crazy. So, yeah, it went room above a pub, studio space, Edinburgh, UK tour for six months. Mm -hmm. Then we got the transfer to the West End, which... Wait, so we went to the Duchess Theatre, which is in Covent Garden, and it's still there now. So it's on its fourth cast. It's also since... It's gone on an international tour, uh, Australia-Asia tour. It's also in a ton of other countries in another... In, or in non-English-speaking countries I or non-English-speaking scripts. That's incredible. Yeah. And then now it's in Broadway. And that was a massive deal, and obviously that was helped a lot by J.J. Abrams as well mm -hmm. and Kevin McCullum. So J.J. saw it in London, off chance. On the off chance, just Googled what just, play to see yeah. and came along. I was a big fan. And Kevin McCullum um, got involved, and he's a huge pro producer here and, and has been invaluable, and they brought it over with Kenny and Mark and with us, which is great. It's a Cinderella story. <laughs> it must, it's, it's probably really annoying to hear for lots of people, but it, what I hope it means is that people find hope because it can really happen when you work hard and, and have a bit of luck. Like, yeah. you need some luck, but, no, but the if you're making you yourselves happy... are all friends from school and that you started this together and that you took, you, uh, took the control of making your own work and that it's come this far is really mm. amazing. But even if it hadn't... I'm so pleased that I've spent so much of my time on work that I enjoy yeah. and work that I'm proud of. So even if I hadn't quite made it all the way here, you know, it would never have been a waste. The, 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 the trap you can fall into is to end game. Mm -hmm. Oh, I want a success on the West End or Broadway, so I'll try and tick everybody else's boxes. What will be commercially successful? How mm -hmm. do I do it? And you forget the middle bit, which is a project that you like to do with a group of people who you like. Yeah. That sees you through those days when you're working in the bag shop and then going and doing <laughs> the performance at night and you're exhausted. When did you finally get to let go of your day job? It was the winter of 2013 mm -hmm. because we were doing a production of our second show, The Peter Pan Goes Wrong, which, at the Pleasance in London. Okay. And then after that, I knew I was going on a six-month tour, so I handed in my notice at the bag shop. 
And I must say, I'm so lucky to have had that job. They were wonderful people, always gave me loads of support and time off for auditions. I'm, uh -huh. I'm so grateful to them and always will be. Aspinall of London, if anyone's interested. <laughs> the upmarket bag shop. And um, they were wonderful to me. But yeah, being able to say, um, I actually don't know when I'm coming back, if I'm coming back. And that was the last time I, I did a job that wasn't to do with acting. How exciting. Very exciting. <laughs> really wonderful. And you know it's there if you ever have to go back. Oh, but. they probably would take me, you know. They're so nice. They'd just be like, oh, yeah, come back. That's fine. And I loved it. I really was just like, oh, goodness. If Excuse me. Um, I really thought it's a good job I have these other things because when you find something else that you quite like doing, that can be very tempting. You know, I really <laughs> like working in retail. It just made me realize I probably wouldn't work in an office, but if I decide to give up acting, I'll do something with people, you know. Yeah. Retail or some sort of spa or hotel, something like that, you know. Right. Yeah. Shop. Have you do you feel like you're getting to explore in New York that much or you're just so busy and well, tired? <laughs> <laughs> um well, we're living the life, if I'm honest. We're extremely privileged position. All of us are in that. But um I'd say we make an effort. So I try once a week to do something vaguely touristy or New York-y. Mm -hmm. And that way I'm not trying to cram it all in. And Because I, I was slightly worried about trying to cram it all in and then actually not enjoying myself. Yeah. Had you spent time in New York before? I've never been to New York before. Oh, amazing. No. And so for me, also sitting down in my apartment, looking out the window and having a cup of tea is part of this experience. When my family members come to visit and we sat, my auntie came and sat, she's my mum's sister, you see, so she, we, yeah. we sat on the sofa and... We talked all day, and that was part of my New York experience as well, because it wouldn't have happened had I not been here, because she wouldn't have come to visit just me, and it, you know, yeah. it was wonderful. Um, but then also, yeah, we go, went up the rock for Dave's birthday, and we've been on a ferry, and we've been in a helicopter, and we've been to Brooklyn, I've been to the Bronx Zoo, I <laughs> went to on a 9-11 tour and through the museum, which was extremely moving um, and empowering as well sort of strangely felt very lucky for everyone I had around me love going to Bryant Park that's become a bit of a habit it is beautiful yeah I, we go and play games all the time yeah and I go to the library nearly once a week nice. um so some things have become part of the norm which is even better yeah. and then some things are still ticking off the list going up the Empire State Building on Friday oh yeah very exciting because it's my birthday so. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you. <laughs> do you know how long you'll be here? Yeah. Up in the air? No, we, um, due to equity rules, um, we are not allowed to perform in this show for longer than a certain amount of time. Okay. So even though it's going to extend beyond us um, and there are other actors coming in, we can't perform anymore because it's American jobs. Right. So um, we're going to, our last performance is the 17th of September. And then we've got a few days grace, and then we have to leave the country. <laughs> Get out. And then we have um, Dave and I are thinking of going to Canada, crossing over the border, and then coming back in on a tourist visa to see more of America oh, nice. before I go home, which would be amazing. But, yeah, so we know that we, we can't go on beyond September, which is probably a blessing because it would be very difficult to leave, Yeah. given a choice. It's, it's an amazing city, and the food is so good. <laughs> Chicken tenders. <laughs> it's changed my life. Chicken tenders. They don't have chicken tenders in London? Not as good. I mean, we have great food in London. I miss the good Indian food, to be fair. But wow. uh, the, the, the fried chicken here is just outrageous. <laughs> it's phenomenal. Blows my mind. Yeah. So w what sort of structure have you found works best to like build into your daily life to make sure you can make it through eight shows a week. The show is so physical. It is quite physical, yeah. So much stage fighting and mm. all this stuff. It just... A lot of pratfalls. You know, it takes a lot of energy, it looks like. Yeah, so uh, it's a balance, actually, between um, exercising enough that you are strong enough to do the show, but not exercising so much that you're too tired. Yeah. And I don't always manage it quite right, but I, I try to. Um, so I, I train twice a week mm -hmm. with a a personal trainer that's sort of my luxury that I've definitely afforded myself while I've been here also because you know it's bagel room do you know what I mean you need bagel <laughs> I know, room you're gonna enjoy all the food we need to go to the gym <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so I go training at least twice a week um, and I'm working on strength particularly so keeping everything all together all my joints in place and things like that um, and then I spend uh, one time a week I, I work on a project of my own so I make sure that I, I have a friend who I met through 
well, I met her in England, but she's from New York, and we work once a week on our own projects, but together we made a date. Uh -huh. So we go to the library and we work separately. Like, like a writing project? Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Um, I've never written before, and it probably won't, well, no, I shouldn't be so self-deprecating, but I, <laughs> you know, it may not come to anything, but... No, I, but you're trying it. I'm trying, great. and I enjoy it. Is and it theatrical writing? Or yeah, some, yeah, fictional, yeah. Fictional. And um, I would... So I, I like, I really, really enjoy doing that, and I'd advise anyone to do that if they're in a company like mine, to make sure you carve out... I, it's only two hours yeah. a week, but two hours where I work on my own thing. I mean, having someone else who kind of holds you accountable, that's great. Yeah, and actually she's gone away, but I have to text her, <laughs> saying, I'm doing it now, and she's very like, okay, smart. I'm doing it now. It's very good, very helpful. Um, doing all of that kind of thing. Lots of sitting down and having a cup of tea. Yeah. It's very important. I've brought a mug from home, and I've got English tea here, and uh, some English chocolate that people bring me every time they come to visit. And sometimes you need to have a little self-nurturing and mm -hmm. mothering time where you just sit on the sofa and enjoy that. And I think that's really important because it stops you going crazy, um, and you have to be kind to yourself. Yeah. But I'm also very lucky because the show is fun. Because it's funny. It's not, like... It's not difficult to go up and do. Only right. if you're ill is it difficult. <laughs> and even then, the audience usually get you through because the Americans are so amazing. Um, yeah. How has the American audiences been different than the ones you have in London? So, so um, American audiences give you a standing ovation nearly every night. Now, when we first arrived, we were like, we are killing it. They are, we're amazing. We're nailing it every <laughs> night. And then we realized that they stand up to every performance. Because yeah. <laughs> it's just like, oh, okay. Because in England, if they stand up, that's quite a big deal. Yeah. People are very funny about like where they're standing up. I more and more common yeah. here. I'm not sure what that is or if it's just that... We are not so that supportive. You don't deserve it. <laughs> I'm not sure we do deserve but it every night. Way, I feel like I don't know if it has something to do with even maybe the ticket prices that people are so yeah. invested that they that they've invested so much in mm. having this experience for the night. Yeah, that they hold it to a very high pedestal. In a way. I completely agree. And actually, it's funny. I don't know no, I think you. I think you have a really good point because, but it was funny because it, in England we find our best performances are to audiences that have got discounted tickets mm -hmm. because there's a feeling of, oh my God, I got this for 20 quid or 30 quid, so it doesn't even matter if it's bad because I only paid 20 quid for it. So they, they go in with a really positive attitude, exactly, yeah. really excited to be there. And when they've paid a lot, we find they're a little bit more difficult to please because they're sat there going, I just paid yeah. 100 pounds for this ticket, you better impress me. That'd be good. But in America, it's this wonderful flip on that, which is, I paid a hundred and something dollars for my ticket, so I'm going to enjoy it. <laughs> I am not going to feel like I regret, I'm not going to feel the regret of spending that money. I am going right. to have a good time. I've heard it's great, so it's <laughs> going to be great rather than I've heard it's great, so let's see if they impress me. Right. There's a real front foot feeling to the American audiences. So they're just already up for having a great night before you've even started, <laughs> which really helps. And yeah, they just make the whole experience. Fun. Yeah, they yeah. just buy into it, that's great. Well, that's true, and they're very, very kind to us all. Um, but I'd say that the American audiences are louder as well, just mm -hmm. big laughs, lots of clapping, which is very nice when you're doing a comedy show. Just absolutely lovely, yeah. Uh, there's so much physical comedy with like the props and the set. Mm. Um, when you were just starting out with the show, was the set such a big part of the the play or did that kind of come along as you got more money and so it was a it, it was always been a huge part of the play it's no it's not always been as big as it actually is right. um so when we first started it was three flats you know three sort of eight foot tall four foot wide big squares um mm -hmm. which were set out in just a little trio basically that were attached to each other and could fold in and out mm -hmm. um a doorway a, a, a window frame and a and a mantelpiece sections, three different sections, and we had a chaise long as well, a chaise. Um, and those things would fall, and we did everything by ourselves. Uh, we, uh, the whole show was held together by magnets and duct tape, um, gaffer tape. We, you know, you, we had magnets strapped to sticks, which and there was magnets on the other sides of things, and we would just pull off the magnet from the other side of the set. Um, or we'd cut a piece of string every night that would make the window, um, sorry, the curtain rail fall. Um, <laughs> And it was a huge endeavor. And because I was knocked out for half of it, I became a sort of strange um, theater creature where I was crawling around underneath. Because there's this tiny space and the audience could see everything. Crawling around, trying to like reposition things, ready for the next section. 
But there's this there's this thing in the show. I don't think this ruins it, but where a piece of set falls, um, and someone we have a Buster Keaton trick where it looks like it's going to fall on a person, but actually she is saved by the window frame. She falls through the right. window frame, falls right. over her, so she's actually safe. And we we've done that for, since the beginning. But we weren't able to nail the the set into the floor. So it would move throughout the show. So even though we'd spiked where the set needed to be and where she needed to stand, throughout the show, the set would have moved. So, so suddenly those marks become obsolete and dangerous. So I would then move just before the, the moment happened. I would then grab the set and shunt it back to its position. Nancy would the look at world. me. <laughs> yeah, the, whole, the whole set, I'd just move it. She'd then look at me. We'd have eyes as if to say, is it okay? And I'd be like, yes, yes, it is. And then I would push it. So I had to push it over her. That scared How me. How nerve-wracking. Yeah. And then when we came into professional theatre, it was so funny because... That's a trust exercise. It certainly was. And actually, though, we felt really safe because everybody knew that show inside out. Every single person yeah, on that stage. To. Everybody knew each other's thing. So we went to professional theatre and did like West End and the tour, and we were told we couldn't be in charge of it. Actually, we all got a bit more nervous. We were like, so who's pushing it? And who's in charge? So Charlie's not pushing it anymore. Oh, that's quite scary, actually, because <laughs> I trust her. And, and we had to all learn to kind of give it all up a little bit. Right, and and particularly in America, because the unions are stronger. So that we used to do a lot more in London, even even now, mm. uh, backstage, whereas now we hand the whole thing over to wonderful professionals who are amazing right. and talented and experienced. But it, it, it was a little learning curve, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was crazy. <laughs> um, have you had any mentors in your acting career? Goodness, yes, many. I've had amazing teachers at school. You really have, like, they provided me so much, well, we're talking about it, family, you know, a real place where I could go after school or before school. Because if things weren't always so great at home, you know, I spent a lot of time at school. And um, there was always this club. And they were always seeking me out with these extra opportunities. Oh, you know, the school's been asked to do this thing and we thought you might like to do it. And I was always so grateful for that kind of thing. Um, so my yeah, all my male, uh, all my drama school teachers, and so drama school teachers, but then also the drama school teachers, the ones I had at Lambda, <laughs> were amazing. So how long were you at Lambda? Three years. Three years. I did three years there. Um, so yeah, but then also some of my just very good friends. You know, I've got friend, friend Alice, who I met on the tour of the play that goes wrong. She came in as an understudy, and she's an actress and a writer. And we'll talk, and we'll go and have for a walk, and talk about our lives and what we want to do, and the art, the things we want to make, and and that's so helpful. The the women around me, I find women particularly yeah. um, enriching. Um, loads of friends I've made. I can't think of anyone in particular now, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave here thinking, oh, my God, I didn't That's say okay. so-and-so. But um, <laughs> really, really helpful. And then there's a director um, who taught me, who directed us in my third year of drama school, who I've kept in touch with ever since, Raz, Raz Shaw. And he and I are still really good friends, and he will, would go out for a cup of tea and have a chat, and you feel centred again. You know, it's that moment when you're feeling a bit lost or a bit frozen and you're unable to make a decision or not sure what you want to do and you're trying to please everyone. Mm -hmm. Those people that, whether you're, they're your mate or your director or your old teacher, who bring you back to yourself and also put confidence in you and say, I have confidence in you. Yeah. I have faith in you. I really see you. Mm, yeah. Those relationships are so important. And I think I used to want, and I do still want to be friends with everyone. You know that feeling of like, I just want to be everybody's friend. The fear of being alone, isn't it? So you think, if I splat a gun, I'll be all right. But actually, as time's gone on, as I've got older and through therapy as well, I've come to value my close individual friendships that may not number hundreds and hundreds, but the quality of them is so rich that you feel completely secure and loved. And actually, you need five of those people in your life, or yeah. two, or one, if, if, if for some people. I agree. So you can value those more, I would, yeah. If you don't want to talk about this, it's totally fine. But what's it been like for you and Dave to be in a relationship with another artist? And mm. Let alone going through this experience together. That yeah. makes it even more unique. Well, we were in the company together before we got together. Mm -hmm. So we were friends first. And, um, and in general, I don't talk about 
the relationship for promotional things, but because this is more of a personal interview, I okay. really don't mind. Don't <laughs> no, it's okay. <laughs> but I do. I in general, I think that people, you know, I will keep mm -hmm. it separate. But um, we were friends first, which really helped, um, just in terms of the relationship. It means that we have a strong friendship yeah. um, as a base. Um, it's had its ups and downs. Really, really has. In many ways, it's brilliant because um, we earn exactly the same amount of money. And career-wise, there is no discrepancy or dis no yeah. disparage. Oh, there's a better word. Basically, we don't notice a huge difference between our careers because right. we're actually doing the same thing as each other all the time, which means that so far we haven't come up against as much competition or feeling of inadequacy in comparison to the other, yes. which is very helpful. And I think that's something that lots of couples in the artistic industry have to deal with, which we haven't yet had to do, which we will, I'm sure, have to do one day when he becomes a movie star or I become a movie star. Well, there's also just so many more opportunities for men. Yes. There's just more roles. Yes, so that, exactly. That is something that can come up. Yeah. But then the beauty of it is when you are with someone like that, we talk about it and he goes, yeah, so we should write an all-female farce. <laughs> and you think, yes, thank you so much. I love you so much. Um, because he's secure in himself as well, so he yeah. can use a, he's, That's like, what being a man is about. Together. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but the difficulties come, you know, because we spend a lot of time together. Yeah. So we socialize, we work, and we live together. Yeah. Which is um, intense. <laughs> Very intense. <laughs> the nervous laugh coming Do you out of it. Kind of consciously try to carve out time that you yes. spend apart. <laughs> Absolutely. And the thing is, it should be done in a really open, positive way. Good. So rather than it feeling like I'm having to do it because I'm trying to be independent from him, which is what I just spent a lot of our early relationship doing, mm. I actually didn't want to carve out the time for myself. I was doing it begrudgingly to try and prove to him that I was sort of independent or something, right. which actually, of course, just proves you're not very independent because <laughs> it was all based around him still. <laughs> but now that we've matured and I've got a little bit older, it just becomes really easy. I go, oh, actually, I'm going to go home, but you stay out and we have no issue with that we spend whole evenings at the same party not talking to each other and we both find that attractive in the other person yeah. and also you will then want to see the person at the end of the night you go how was your night and that kind of enriches the relationship a little bit it's a bit sexier you know what I mean you're not all over each other all the time and yeah we definitely do definitely carve out that time but also you carve out time specifically just for the two of you because if you work together and socialize together and then you come home and you're knackered and you just go to bed you actually well, you end only up... only talk about the play. Oh, only talk about yeah. work or your other friends or the play. Yeah. It can get a bit toxic too. So we spend... We carve out time where we go and do a touristy thing, just the two of us, well, or we go for dinner. Especially when you're here and you're not at home with your friends who are outside of the company. Exactly. And family and all of that. Well, I was worried about that more rather than between me and Dave, but me and the whole company. Because right. in London, I spend a lot of time meeting up with people outside of the group, making a bit of an effort to go for lunch or a cup of tea or something. Right. I literally have talked about tea so much. Um, <laughs> I love it. I'm obsessed. I'm such a stereotype. Um, but I did. I thought, oh, actually, in New York, that'll be harder because yeah. I don't have that um, outer circle of friends. Not outer, but, you know, extended circle of friends. But I've made an effort to try and meet people, new people here, or just, yeah, spend time on my own, or just with me and Dave, where we're talking about our lives and things we care about that aren't, yeah, the work and the, and the other people. And very, very dangerous if you just talk about other people all the time. <laughs> so you've got to talk about ideas yeah. and things you love. Um, so it's an effort, but it's totally worth it. I'm very lucky. Is there a lesson you've learned over the last couple of years that you want to tell me about? Yes, I'm sure there is. And let me just think about or it. Some, yeah, or, or something that you're proud of that you learned. It doesn't have to be like a huge event. Well... Actually, yeah, okay. When I first did the play that goes wrong, um, very first time, I was really, really proud of my work. And then I went away and I came back and I spent the next year and a half chasing it. I didn't, and, I, and most of the company probably wouldn't even necessarily know about this, but I never felt quite comfortable with my own performance. I felt it was a little bit gross. Mm. literally gross, just too much, and spilling over the edges, a bit flabby. And that I was chasing laughs, gurning. It just didn't feel the it same. It didn't feel, I didn't feel classy. I didn't feel good about it. It didn't feel sexy. I think sexy acting is really important. And I don't mean sexy as in sexual. I mean classy, sexy, pulling back acting is uh -huh. the coolest. 
And I wasn't doing it. And I, and, I, and I spent my whole year of the West End, actually, not really being 100% proud of my work. I always thought, God, if Tina Fey came to see this show, I'd be worried. I'd be actually a bit embarrassed of my performance. And I, I never it was able to get out of it. I was a little bit frozen in this like, fear of right. making a bolder choice. And, um, and then we had some time away. We did other shows, Peter Pan Goes Wrong and the comedy about bank robbery. And in the comedy about bank robbery, we started fresh. It was, new, it was a new production and this new role. This woman from Arkansas, actually, and it's not a play within a play either, so it was a little bit more... You were more able to immerse yourself in it as an actor. And I made choices I was proud of and really, really stuck by it and felt that feeling of going, this is what I wanted to do. So whether you like it or not, the audience, reviewers parents, friends, right. actually it no longer matters. Not that I'm being blasé and disregarding other people's opinions, obviously taking in everyone's opinion is really, really important and taking all your notes. But at the end of the day, owning that choice and, and thinking, no, I, I like what I'm doing every day, I, I like my, my performances. So when I came back to the play that goes wrong, I just decided I'd learnt that's how you should feel when you're performing. So whilst someone might have watched both pre and post that break and probably see no difference in my performance. <laughs> <laughs> I feel it. Oh. I am much more proud of the performance I'm doing. And some people might think it's worse and some people might think it's better, but it doesn't matter. I know now that I'm happy with the choices I'm making. And I know also in a show when I go, oh, nope, that wasn't good. I don't beat myself up over it either anymore. I just think, okay, well, tomorrow I'll just do it yeah. better. Because otherwise you can't continue. I'm not going to go back there. I don't want to go back there to a place where I'm, where I feel a bit. Actually, the, it's not. This isn't a good word to use, but like a bit prostitutional. Like it's sort of like I'm literally doing it for other people, and I don't feel like I'm choosing to do this and consenting right. to this performance. It feels I'm doing too much. I've got no control. It's running away with me. It's flabby, and now I have control over the choices I'm making. I've repeated myself. <laughs> no, myself up. I, that is huge. Mm. That's wonderful. And then, then at the end of the day, you can go to bed and you're like, well, I liked it. Well, it's also just so amazing that that's part of what we do is that it can be, it can change so much. Mm. And the audience might not know, but your experience of what you're doing and the small things you're changing and the way you feel in your body and in your mind yeah. can change over the long term. That's wonderful. Mm. And I, and I, and I'm so glad it has. And I didn't think that kind of thing could happen. And now when I think about doing a new project with maybe even not this company, I feel like I can take that in. That I will absolutely take all the information, advice and notes from out the outside because I'm open to all of that kind of thing. But at the end of it, I will still do something I, I am proud of with mm -hmm. the help of all these other people and these notes and things. Um, and that makes me excited to do more projects rather than scared every time that I'm doing a new project that I'm going to fail. That's fantastic. And then just to wrap it up so you can go, I, have you gotten to see anything? Because you've been in your own show. I usually <laughs> ask at the end if people want to recommend anything. Oh, I have actually. Um, so I, Well, he's gone now, but Darren Brown, I saw Secret. Um, I think he's left New York now. And this is the magician. He does this yeah. mind magic. He's amazing. If anyone gets a chance to see him, you can YouTube Darren Brown, and um, you'll love it. And then also, I've seen, gosh, I've seen loads. I've been really, really lucky. The Good. Broadway community here is amazing. You I all go and sure see if, each like, other. your shows would line up. And well, we do a Sunday busy. night, so we get Wednesday matinee off. Lovely. So I saw loads of things. I saw Significant Other, Present Laughter. Um, Hamilton. Yes. Oh God, and it totally so lived up to the hype. I didn't know much so about good. it. I listened to the soundtrack up until the room where it happens, mm -hmm. and I, <laughs> so I didn't even know the ending because hilariously, English history when we when we teach history in England, it goes, America didn't exist. We discovered America. We own America. Blink. America is its own country. We just don't talk about the Amora Revolution at all. So I didn't know anything about it from apart from the soundtrack. So I didn't know what happened to Hamilton at all. I was quite shocked. Um, and it was amazing, and I learned so much. Oh, so and what a wonderful performance. The, 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 act, the performers are insane. They're so good. And I've met a couple of them, and I'm so impressed by everything they do. I saw Groundhog Day. I've seen... Uh, I've seen loads of Kinky Boots. Did you get to see Indecent yet? No, I haven't seen Indecent. It's so good. 
No, I haven't seen as many of the plays. I'm really desperate to see Oslo, Indecent, and Doll's House Part 2. That's good, too. Really want to see those. Mm. Um, but also I went to downtown, I went to the Infinite Wrench, which um, a boy who I went to drama school with, and he's from America, and he's, so he's here and he's in New York. He's actually from California, but it's this performance where they write 30 plays that are all about approximately two minutes long, and they try and perform each one in 60 minutes. You know, I saw something like that in Chicago, but... Yes, yeah, they, they have it elsewhere. Something else. I think it's there's a bit of copyright thing, and there's yes. a split with yes, some people creatively, so they've rebranded as Infinite Wrench. Um, they're called the Neo-Futurists. Yes, I've seen that. And I really would advise people going to see that. It's it was an amazing night. And it, it's a real antidote as well, because they are not acting. They say they're not pretending. Nothing is a lie. So mm. when they drink whiskey, they're drinking whiskey. Um, they are themselves. So the stories they tell are true stories, unless they say this is a lie. And, and that's mm. so that's the truthful part. Um, and so it's a really amazing antidote to all of that. And all to sort of fictionalise things. And it, it's very moving and also hilarious. So I totally advise going to see that. That was so good. Wonderful. Yeah. Charlie, thank you so much. This was oh, great. Thank you for having me. I'm sorry if I've rambled. No, it's <laughs> wonderful. It was so nice to hear about everything you've been doing. listening to the compass podcast i'm leah walsh more episodes are coming soon please look for us on facebook in itunes i'd like to thank the following people for their generosity the compass cover art is by kim miller music by brendan spieth audio assistance from nick Choksi, and a special thanks to frankie j alvarez see you next time Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.